Um, so today, uh, int- so some interesting things happened. We started, I started a new discipleship group this last week, and um, during that, that uh, first meeting, we were talking about uh, the Spirit and, and, uh, and the prophetic and kind of how things work. And one of the things that I had mentioned is that I love listening to when someone gets, gets up and gives, gives a word and has absolutely no idea what I'm speaking on, and it's right along the same lines. And this week, I actually made the, made the decision um, uh, sometime last week that I was going to skip the first part of uh, Matthew 18 and go into verses 10 through, thir- uh, through 35, <coughs> because the same section that's 1 through 10 we're going to run into early on in Mark, and they're almost identical. So I wanted to kind of to keep things moving on. I really wanted to get to this section. Now, had I not done that, then... What Mark brought today would have been completely disconnected from the message today, but I didn't, and Mark does not know what I'm speaking on today. The title of today's message is that all may be saved. And so this section in Matthew is, is pretty interesting as we continue our little journey through the New Testament, because in this section of Matthew, there are three distinct passages that most of the time you will hear preached as three distinct messages. But what I want to put forward to you today is the idea that these are not three different messages. These are three points that Jesus is making about the same topic. And the same topic is that he wants all to come to faith. None. Doesn't want to lose any. And one of the other reasons why I really wanted to get to this is because, especially this time of year, you see so many people going through so many difficult things. It's very frustrating to see so many people going through difficult times during the most wonderful time <laughs> for a shot. It's, it, it really depends, you know, it's, it's so frustrating to see all of this happening during, especially during a time that's supposed to be so joyous. And you can get really frustrated. You can even get to the point where you start thinking to yourself, does God even pay attention? Does God even know? What's, what's going on in my life? Well, yeah, he does. Um, one of the things that's important for us to, to remember is this passage here in Psalm 23, verses 4. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they come for me. That's right, I will fear no, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. But I'm walking <laughs> through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't mean I get to jump over it. I'm afraid jumping off the stage. We don't get to skip it. We walk through it. And as we're walking through it, he's with us. And amazing things can happen. One of the more difficult realities in the Christian life is praying for the soul of the one who wrongs you. (laughs) That's an awesome thing to be thinking about. Our challenge when we're walking through difficult times, is to not lose sight of the vision of Christ and his goal for everyone. So Jesus is talking to us about this in this section. And all of this, is, this is 25 verses, but I promise this won't be long-winded. Um, we're just going to move right along. I'm, I'm, at least I'm intending on it not being long-winded. So the first section is verse 12 through 14. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it reads like this. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one who went astray? And if he finds it, uh, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more um, than over the 99 that uh, that never went astray. 
So it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. God will leave the 99 and he will go to the one. Now, interesting little tidbit in your Bibles. Um, uh, if you are looking at your Bibles, how many of you are missing verse 11? It goes 10, 12. There are probably a number of Bibles that, that do. Some students like, well, my Bible's at home. I would check it, but I don't have it with me. It's okay. It's fine. It's probably on your phone. Now, the reason why it's, it's missing is because it's not in certain manuscripts, but it's in others. And it's just a reminder that the verse chapters and numbers don't mean anything. So a little bit of trivia, moving right along. Don't pay attention to the verse chapters and numbers. Don't let them confuse you. Don't let them direct your reading. They don't mean anything. They're just there so we can find our way around, okay? So what is the purpose of what Jesus is saying in this section? The purpose of this, is, what Jesus is saying, is that he did not come to earth to save a select few. There is a doctrine in a lot of the churches called the doctrine of election, and that means that God only came to save those whom he had pre-chosen from the beginning of time. I do not agree with that doctrine. I think when, G- when Jesus says, I came so that not one would be saved, he was serious. Not one would be saved. Not one would be lost. <laughs> I could hear, without even hearing Abel going, what? <laughs> I think at some point I'm just going to give him a red little flashlight, and then whenever I say something that's backwards, warning, Will Robinson, back up. (laughs) He doesn't want any to be lost. All would come to faith. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance all. God wants all. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done. All sheep are dumb, okay? Some are more dumb than others. And then there's a whole other category, which are the most dumberest, and some of you have friends who would be in the category of the most dumberest. And if you don't, then your friends do. Just saying. It's kind of one of those two. But God loves all of his sheep so much that he will leave the 99 to go after that one most dumberest one, the frustrating one that, you know what, I got 99 that have a brain. And, and you know what? One percent's not a bad loss. Better than the stock market. I think we're good. You know what, that one, you know what, bears got to eat. It's fine. We'll just let it go. Nope. He leaves the 99 because he doesn't want to lose one, not one. God knows that there are those among us who will never come to faith. He knows that. But it doesn't stop him from trying. And I think that's important for us to remember. So as we continue, before I move off to, on to the, to the next section, I want you to consider two questions that are embedded in this passage of Scripture. The first one is, at what point in time in your life have you ever written somebody off? Mm-hmm. 
At what point in time have you ever written somebody off? And the second question is this, where would you be if people held that same attitude towards you before you came to Christ? Because at some point in time, you were the one, not the 99. Someone came looking for you. That someone is our Father. Regardless of what body he sent that through. Someone came looking for you. At some point in time, you were among the most dumberest. And yet God still made room for you because he's not willing that one would be lost. So that's the first part. We know God's heart, and we know he doesn't want to lose a single one. Now we have this next section of scripture, 15 through 17, and it reads like this. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. You've won him back, some translations say. But if he will not hear you, take, one with, uh, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear the, uh, hear the church, then let him to be to you like a heathen and tax collector. This is a dumb one. Most uh, dumb one. This is a, this is a tough one. Most Bibles refer to this as church discipline in the, in the top, just above the, uh, uh, the passage. Now, my question to you is, is this about discipline or restoration? See, tradition is that this is about discipline, but I want to tell you that this is about restoration, not discipline. And here's what I can prove for you. What's the first word in this section? Moreover. Moreover. So we have the heart of God in the section above saying, I will leave the 99 to find the one. I will do whatever I need to do to bring that one person back to faith. And moreover, and in a deeper consideration, the one who sins to you, here's how you win them back. Here's how you restore them to faith. God will go to great lengths to redeem them, and we should be willing to do the same. They are both talking about the same thing, just a different view. On one side, it's God's decision towards the one who has been lost. Now it's our decision towards the one who's lost. How we react to that person. And it's not just someone who's you know, celebrating some life of sin. This is someone who might be walking in sin or maybe falling away from their faith. You see it. And you should go after them to bring them back. We all run the same race. Winning is not the goal. Winning is not the goal of the race in our faith. It's getting to the end with as many people with you as you can. It's like you get in on a sinking boat. I want to be the first one into the life, life raft. I want to be the last, and I want to throw the other people into the life raft as fast as I possibly can. I want to load that puppy up. It's not about getting there first. It's about getting as many of us there as possible. <clears throat> so he says, moreover. First thing we do, what do we do? We go to them privately. Why do we go to them privately? Two basic reasons. One, we might be wrong. You may see something from a distance and have completely the wrong idea of what you're looking at. It's possible. You might be right, but you might be wrong. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Let them have the opportunity to explain. Or, at the very least, repent in private. But too often, that's not what we do. Well, I need to bring someone with me. Have you talked to that person privately first? 
well, I'm nervous, and if I bring someone with me, then I feel better about it. <laughs> really? So having two people in a difficult conversation is better? How many of you have ever been pulled over and you have a police officer on both sides of your car shining a light inside? Comfortable? I bet you don't. We go individually. Meeting privately gives that person the chance to clear things up before your concern makes a mess that didn't need to happen. Sometimes when we have really good intentions and really bad execution, and that execution screws everything up. Don't do that. Follow the Word of God because the Word of God is about restoring that person back, not, making, not being right. What's the benefit of being right if that person is still away from the Lord? What difference does that make? Well, they're a sinner heading to hell, but I won the fight. <laughs> Who cares? Bring them to faith. That's the goal. And the second one, second reason we go, is if they're wrong, it gives them a chance to do the right thing one-on-one. Here's, here's a reality when it comes to dealing with difficult things in the church. You've got someone who may be, may be sliding away from their faith, and you come to them, and you bring another person with them, and that person obviously knows you and knows the other person. The moment you involve somebody else, you've created sides. You've created this camp and that camp. Because if they, you bring someone with you when, you, when you finally do separate apart, they're going to find someone to support them. And now you've created camps, you've created a division. It's not what we're supposed to do. The idea is restoration. If we do it right, we've won the brother back or sister. It's only after we do that that we go to the next steps. But here's the thing. Even if you've got to involve the whole church, I've never been in that place. I never want to be in that place. I've seen it happen, and I never want to ever be there. But even if you got to go that far, the goal is never to belittle the person. It's never to expose the person. It's never to let everyone know how much of a horrible sinner this person is so that they can stay apart from that. The whole goal is that this person would be brought back to Christ so that the church as a whole would respond to this person as someone who needs Jesus, as someone who needs to repent, who needs to be restored, who needs to come back to faith. This is why he says if he ignores the whole church, then treat him like a heathen and a tax collector. How do you treat a heathen and a tax collector? Like someone who's not saved. They need Jesus. Now, back then, tax collectors were not very well liked, but that doesn't mean you walked up to them, hi, tax collector. We don't get to do that. We get to try to bring them back to faith. Here's another very difficult question. Do you have it in you to pray for the salvation of the one who has hurt you the most? That's not a gotcha question. It's an honest question. And I ask it for this reason. I ask this because I look back at my own life. I know that I spent a lot of years as the most dumberest. As one who God had every right to write off. But he didn't. He sent people to me who loved me through it, who prayed me past it. If 
for the people who have hurt me, for the people who have, have, have caused problems in my own life, um, when, or the people that I have hurt, people who I have caused problems with, do I want them to pray for my restoration or my judgment? We got to pick one. And this can be extremely difficult because here's the reality. Some people don't make mistakes by accident. Some people hurt you on purpose. They're not just deceptive, they're calculatingly deceptive. They know exactly what they're doing. And you may be praying for them, thinking, God, in your mercy, getting hit by a bus is quick. It's not God's mercy. The best way to resolve an issue with an ungodly person acting in an ungodly way is to bring them back to faith, to bring them to faith, to get them saved. Because it doesn't, you, you can't change the situation unless you change the person. If you change them from the inside, the rest of it works itself out. But let me remind you of something. You can pray for your enemy while you're taking them to court, while you're fighting their stupidity, and while you're holding them accountable for their moronic actions. Here's an interesting thing. Matthew 5, uh, verses 45 and, uh, 43 through 45. Listen to what Jesus says. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who, are, uh, who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, interesting, interesting thing. Those who are your enemies and those who do persecute you, that is an active aggression. The people who are actively seeking to harm you. You can pray that God intervenes in their life in the midst of the struggle. And there's a benefit to you when you do. Notice Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, if you love others, then they will stop. Some people see your love as an act of weakness and they exploit it for their own benefit. Let them. Resist them. You can still fight them. You can still do what you need to do. But the goal of God is still the same. The person who has caused you the most pain, God will still welcome into heaven if the situation is right. If they repent honestly and they turn themselves over to, the, to, the, to, the, uh, to Christ, God will welcome that person. You may be walking through heaven one day like, I'm sorry. <laughs> How did you get here? I wonder how many people are going to walk through heaven and see me and say the same thing. I'm sorry. Did St. Peter have to go to the bathroom or something and you just like snuck in? Were you hiding in someone's backpack? How did you get in here? My answer will be the same as most other people's. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think... Alistair begs uh, uh, the video we showed a while ago. The man on the middle cross said I could come. That, that's the only reason why I'm here. It's nothing that I did. He said I could be here. 
<coughs> now, here's the thing. When we pray for our enemies like that, when we ask God to intervene in, for, on their behalf for their repentance and their salvation, we do something that I think is, is borderline miraculous. Because I think what happens is that in that process, God creates a shield around us that keeps us from their influence. And what I mean by that is their, their sin creating in us someone that doesn't need to be created, changing us into someone we don't want to be changed into, beating us into a type of submission where we don't think anything will ever get any better. This is just my life. No, it's not. No, it's not. That is not your life. That is not what God wants for you. Every battle we are ever involved with, every person we ever deal with, every sinful situation, every, every, every intentional persecution, every fight we find ourselves in is going to change you in some way. The question is, how much and in what degree? Does it make you stronger? Or is it going to make you weaker? Is it going to make you more sure of the hand of God in your life or more able to doubt the hand of God in your life? Are you looking for the strength of God through this situation or are you just like, God is just going to let this keep happening? I don't know what I, you know what? I've probably sinned so bad that I deserve everything that I'm getting. Now, last week we talked about how we are children of the king. And a child of the king doesn't spend too many days in the torture chamber of the castle, if you take my meaning. It's never God's intent for us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't, get to, we, uh, we, we don't get to just escape the fruit of our lives. For a lot of our lives, decisions are going to come back and they're going to knock on the door and say, hi, remember me? Bad choice number 27. But that doesn't mean that that's where we're supposed to exist. When we spend our days following the words of Christ, and we realize that that person or those people or that group, whatever it is, what they're doing might seem like it's against me, but in reality, it's against the will of God. It's against the goodness of God. It's against the spirit of, of God, and it's keeping them away from the salvation of the Father. If I'm praying for that person in that direction, Lord, reach them with your Holy Spirit. Find a way for them to come back to faith or to faith. Father, restore them so that they can see what it is that they're doing so that they may be restored back to you. You are sheltered from taking their bitterness and adding it to yourself. You can't do it. And then on the other side of the battle, you're stronger. You're better. You're more aware. You have what you need to fight in ways you probably never believed you could fight before. You have that kind of stance that when, when things happen, people are like, I, why aren't you bothered more by this? <laughs> are you kidding? Like this? This is what's going to take me out? Give me a break. No. I've been, I've been forgiven too much to let this bother me. It's not going to happen. Which brings us to the third part. Then Peter came to him. Remember, he's just talking about the 99. Now he's talking about bringing restoration to the brother. Then Peter came to him, and he asked this wonderful question. 
remember, he's just talked about forgiving, bringing restoration to the one who's offended you. Peter says, Lord, how often should I forgive the one who sins against me? I mean, are we talking like every day? Can I at least be mad for a little while? Say seven times. So if I, you know, because that's the number of completion. So if I've forgiven them seven times, can I punch them on the eighth? And Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. What? That's a lot. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Listen to this carefully. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. You're talking about an an amount of money that you you could not make back in a lifetime. This is an unbelievable amount of money. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. Now, just as a side note, the government has racked up quite a a debt. I just, I mean, no, never mind. mind. Selling Congress is not a great idea. (laughs) Although it's tempting. Um, We've never get even close to the amount of money. Um, The servant, therefore, fell down before him and said, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion. Now, remember, an insurmountable debt. Then the servant begged the master, please have patience with me. The, servant, the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave the debt. Forgave the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. It's a hundred days wage. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe me. So this fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he could pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came to, and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I want you to think about what just happened there. Not only was that person shown to be hypocritical, but the debt that was previously forgiven was restored. It was restored. I want you to think about that. When we receive the forgiveness of God, when our sins are paid, when our debt is forgiven, when we are made new with Christ and we refuse to others what has been granted to us, not only will we stand before God judged, but what was forgiven is restored. 
Now, I don't know about you, but there is nothing that anyone will ever be able to do to me that will bring me to a place where I can't let that thing go because their sin is not worth my eternity. I don't care what they did. I don't care what happened. I don't care how bad it was. You know what? Forgiven. I may need to distance myself from that person so I'm not constantly reminded of it over and over and over again, but I am not letting them have an effect on my forgiveness. Because when I stay angry at someone, when I am, am, especially someone who is unrepentant, they're just as wicked as they were before, I'm not going to allow them to interfere with my relationship with my Savior. It's not going to happen. It's not a lot that needs to be said about this section, is there? God is saying, I will leave the 99 to go find the one because it's worth it to at least give it a shot. And by the way, when that one impacts your life and creates a problem for you, you need to do the same thing and find a way to help me restore that person back to faith. Oh, and by the way, the reason we're doing this is because you would want the same thing for you. So what you would like from God, what you want to receive from God, the forgiveness, the restoration, do not deny it to anybody else. So when that brother sins against you, when that sister sins against you, when that person is is trying to persecute you, they're ridiculing you, they're telling stories about you, it's okay. It's all right to do what you need to do to hold them accountable for their actions. Like I said, you can pray for someone in court. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes people need to see the consequences of their choices. But you can still pray that they come to Christ and they're restored to him. At the very least, eternity is now available. That is the goal. Everything that God has done on our behalf, everything he asks us to do on behalf of others, and everything that we have received, he does it for a specific reason, so that all might be saved. And I want the same kind of grace the same kind of kindness, the same kind of long-suffering towards me, if I were to do something stupid that God would want for other people. I want the same thing, so I've got to give the same thing. Like I said, it doesn't mean you just lay down and let yourself get beat up. Sometimes you might be in the middle of a war, swords swinging. You can still be praying, Lord, I hope these people who are in the, on, the, on the opposite side of this fight have a relationship with you because they're about to meet you. This is a different kind of care. You're in the fight. You can't stop the fight. The fight's on. It doesn't mean you just lay down and let yourself get beat up, but it also means that you care enough about the soul of the person that's in the fight with you that you can intercede on their behalf. That's a hard, hard thing to do. But when we do it, we take on the character of Christ. Because what are we told in Romans 5.8? For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is being nailed to the cross, and what does he say? Father, wipe them all out. No. No. Father, forgive them 
because they don't understand what it is they're doing. That was Jesus' attitude towards us. While he was being killed, I think he may want us to have the same attitude towards those who are against us while we're walking this earth. Our challenge is not giving up on the soul of the person who is against us. Spending our days trying to bring the love of God into a world that promises to hate us is not an easy thing and never will be. Spending our days trying to love those who have hurt us is not easy and never will be. Spending our days seeking forgiveness from the ones we've hurt is not easy and it never will be. There's nothing easy about the life of a believer. I should say the life of an active believer. But we live this life for a very simple reason. Because at some point in time, Jesus left the 99 obedient to come after the one who was just too dumb to stay where they were. Sometimes you know who that one is. Sometimes you might be the one. How do we want God to react to us? What do we want God to do on our behalf? And that's what we do for everybody else that's around us. That's why Jesus is telling us these things. He does this because it is not God's will that one be lost, no matter who that one is. So let's be the kind of people that when we walk through heaven, we see that person, we're pretty sure it's not going to be there. And we see him. We find joy in our hearts. We might be able to think something along the lines of, I'm so glad you made it. I'm so glad you made it. I almost sent you here myself, but I'm so glad you made it. I knew you were going to meet Jesus one way or the other, either on your own or I was going to introduce you. <laughs> Let's have that attitude. It changes us. gives us a different perspective. Fight the fight. Do what you have to do. Protect the things you have to protect. Like I said... You can care for the soul of the one you're in the middle of the battle with. Don't apologize for that. Sometimes we don't have the option to get out of a fight. Sometimes a fight comes looking for us. Okay. Fight. It's that simple. Fight to win. Do it quick. And pray for the person who started it. Because they need Jesus. It's that important. Alright. I'm going to step out. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have cake. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you continue to bring us into a higher place than we were before. Father, you don't keep us. You don't keep us off to the side. You don't keep us in isolation. You drop us right into the middle of this world and you ask us to stand for you. Lord, it would be great if only good things happened to good people and bad things only happened to bad people, but we know that's not the case. So, Father, teach us what to do in the midst of those bad times. Teach us what to do that would honor you in that process and give us the strength to do it. 
and teach us to value the good times and use them as fuel to help us get through the bad. Father, we put all of this into your hands. We trust you. We know you have it all under control. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.